Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Today, I'm excited because we're continuing in our series, uh, Impact. I just want to point something out to you before we move forward. Uh, This graphic that we've put together for this series implies something. I want to make sure that we're all aware of it. Through this series, we're going to be teaching biblical principles and behaviors and things like that. And the idea is that through these things, we can have an impact, but we've separated that word so that we highlighted that second part, which is just act. And the idea is we can teach this, uh, we can hear it all, but if we leave here and we don't act upon it, we won't have the the impact that I believe God wants us to have. And so as we teach these things, it's the idea of how do we act upon these things? How do we put them into play? And so today I want to talk to you about the impact of abiding. Uh, it's a word that's uh, pretty much gone out of our language. We don't use it much in, in everyday conversations, but it's an important word. And so today we're going to take a look at this idea of abiding. It'll make more sense as we get into it. So grab the Bible, head over to John chapter 15 with us this morning. Uh, if, if you have your device, you can open it up, uh, go to the MVF Colorado app, open that up, click on the button that says Sundays. The Bible's in there. It's already got the passage pulled up for you, as well as message notes if you want to dive a little bit uh, deeper into this text this morning. John chapter 15 is where we're headed. While you're headed there, uh, let me just paint kind of a hypothetical scenario for you and and see what you would say. Uh, Let's pretend just for a minute that there's a, a king in a distant land He owns more stuff than you could ever imagine, has a massive palace, but doesn't have anyone to inherit any of it. So he's made an announcement that he's going to choose somebody that he wants to pass all of this off to. And so the day and time comes when he makes this announcement worldwide. Everyone's tuning in. And let's pretend just for a minute that he chooses out of the the billions of people, he chooses you. He says your name as the one that's going to inherit everything that he has, what would you do? Would you, would you receive it? Would you accept that? Would you take that? Um, how fast would you get there? Right? Even if you had the money for airfare, right, you'd probably beg, steal, and borrow to get there, wouldn't you, to make sure that you secured this, this offering, this amazing, incredible opportunity? Now, I want you to keep that in mind because we're going to talk more about that later. But uh, today, as we dive into this, uh, you've actually been given something like that. And I wonder if you've, you've actually received it or not. Um, we talk here so often at Mountain View Fellowship about fostering relationships. It's our mandate here. We talk about pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. And we talk about re- uh, fostering relationships in three different directions. Up with God. Uh, in with each other, with other believers, and then out with the world around us. And, and the first one is the important one, uh, the fostering the up, relation, uh, the up relationship, because if we don't do that, if that one's not right, we have, fo- we have trouble fostering relationships with one another. And so it's the most important one. And, and so today, as we talk about this idea of fostering an up relationship, uh, th- this you might look at and go, well, that's on your wall out there in the lobby, and this is your mandate, but I really don't see that in the Bible. Like, where, show me where fostering an up relationship is actually in the Bible. And I'll, and I'll just tell you up front, you won't find this phrase really in the Bible. Uh, 
Actually, there's a word that's used for it, and it's the word abide. And we see this in a lot of the translations, this idea of abiding. Abiding means to remain in the same place for a period of time or to, to make oneself at home. So it's taking up residence somewhere is what it means. And in the text that you're going to read it in today, uh, we're going to read it in the NLT because that's the translation that we use here in the, in the church uh, on Sunday mornings. If you grab one of the Bibles out of the back, that's NLT, New Living Translation. And the word that's uh, actually abide there is actually been translated in the NLT to remain. And I think that's actually a great translation of it because it means to remain in one place for a period of time or to make yourself at home, to take up residence. So the idea of remain, I think, is a great translation for this. And so as we go through this, you might be surprised how many times you're going to see this word pop up just in the text that we're going to read today. Uh, But before we get to John chapter 15, I want to stop for a minute because it's important for us to put this in context. We need to ask the question, where are we at in the, the story of Jesus in John chapter 15 so that we know what we're reading today? Uh, before we read it, let me just tell you, chapter 15 is actually the night before Jesus is crucified. He's sitting around a table with his disciples. We call it the Last Supper. Uh, They're sitting there celebrating the Passover, and Jesus has been talking to his disciples, and he's been giving them a lot of promises. See, Jesus knows what's about to happen. They don't. And so he's trying to prepare them for what's about to happen, the fact that he's getting ready to go to the cross, that he's going to rise from the grave, and then he's going to go on and ascend into heaven. He knows all this is coming, and yet he's trying to prepare them, and he's given them all these promises, and all these promises are recorded like from chapter 13 through chapter 16. So we're kind of in the middle of all of that. And Judas has already been exposed. Like, he's already left. In this moment when we read this, he's already out. He's, he's arranging to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And so what we find in this moment, when we start off chapter 15, is that one of the disciples has already abandoned him. The, the other 11 are sitting there kind of confused because they're trying to take it all in. And Jesus says this in verse 1. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit. Why? So that they'll produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain, there's our word, remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. It's interesting to me that here we find him at the Last Supper and he's saying, remain in me, I'll remain in you. Remain in me and I'll remain in you. Whereas for three years leading up to this, he hasn't been saying remain or abide, depending on what translation you're reading it in. He's been saying what? He's been saying, follow me, right? This is how he got all his disciples. Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. But yet in this moment, it changes. It goes to remain or abide in me. So, As disciples, this is an instruction that he's given to all of us. If you call yourself a Christian, this is what Jesus is saying to you this morning. Remain in me. Abide in me. So how do we remain in Christ? How do we abide in Christ? Do we need to become monks and and maybe, I don't know, live in a cave, sleep on a bed of nails, deprive ourselves, gouge out our eyes so we're not tempted? Is that what we're supposed to do? Or maybe, uh, maybe we're just supposed to attend services every Sunday, make sure that we're in church, uh, make sure we give a certain amount, make sure we memorize the minimum amount of scripture. Is that what we're supposed to do? Or live all of our days and nights doing ministry? 
Is that how we abide in Christ? Not, not exactly. Actually, let me start by just telling you the word abide or remain is actually a verb. It's not a noun, even though it's this idea of taking up residence. It's not like you take up residence and you never have to do anything else after that. This is a verb. It's active. Uh, this, this idea to abide in Jesus is not about a static relationship, but it's about an ever-changing, deepening, joyful, vital, personal fellowship that we experience with Jesus himself. To, you could say it this way. To abide in Christ is to uh, remain in close proximity to him. Again, take up residence right there. Stay right next to him. Stay right on his coattails. So how do we remain? How do we abide in Christ? Well, just quite simply, let me just give you some, some ideas on how we do this. Uh, first of all, we, we study the Word. We get into the Word of God. In this way, we get to know who God is even better. He gets to know us, and, and our relationship deepens day by day as we foster an up relationship with, with God. We just get into the Word. We study every day. Uh, we can also pray. We can talk to God. Uh, but as I say that, I also want to tell you, part of that prayer is not just all talking, but it's also listening. Daryl Johnson in his book, Discipleship on the Edge, actually said, uh, as pastors, our greatest job is to teach people to listen. We need to listen to what the Holy Spirit would say to us, what, what, the direction that he would give us. Um, so we can read the Bible, we can pray, we, we can sing. Like we can get together and praise like we did this morning. We can, we can worship together. This is how we abide, how we remain in Christ. Uh, we can also, if you're going through loss in your life, you can just cry. You can mourn in the presence of God. You realize that's abiding in Christ, allowing him to minister to you in those moments of loss. And this is how we abide in Christ. The great news is, though, as believers, that, that we take him wherever we go because as we receive Christ and we're forgiven of our sins, it says that he fills us with his Holy Spirit. He dwells within us. When we remain in Christ, it says that he remains with us. He, there's this mutual indwelling, and we are never alone. No matter what you're going through, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus is with you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he dwells within us. To abide with Christ is also to live a life for Christ. And this is sometimes where we might fall short. Like everything in our lives need to be centered and focused around Jesus. Everything we do and everything we say should be focused at, at including Jesus in that. To invite him to actively work in our lives through his love and his grace. And sometimes that just comes out in the, in the daily rhythms of life. Just as we go to school and as we go to work and, and what we say and what we do should all be pleasing to Jesus. And, and so the question in that moment becomes, do we ever think of Jesus? Do we think of him in the morning when we get up? Do we think of him when we go to school or go to work? Or do we think of him when we're interacting with friends or coworkers? Do we think of him as we're going to bed, as, as we sit down at the table to have a meal? Do we ever think of Jesus? Is he a constant thought? Is, is he the center focal point of everything that we do? Uh, what are some other ways that you can abide? Well, I think practically here at Mountain View Fellowship, there's a lot of different ways to do that. You, you can do what you're doing this morning. You can gather together. We can worship together. We can open the Word of God. We can, we can join in life groups. This is where we do life with other people. And, and just as life unfolds, we share what Jesus is doing in and through us. Uh, maybe it's, it's to have a personal reading for yourself. Maybe every morning or every evening, whatever's best for you, you just sit down and you begin to dive into Scripture. 
Uh, we have tools here. Pastor Mike actually has a text thread that you can just, you can be included. He sends out a, a passage every day. And many times, not only just the passage, but a question to help you spend a little bit more time to take up residence, to abide in Christ a little bit longer, just go a little bit deeper in the passage. Uh, we have Bible studies for men. We have Bible studies for women. We have life recovery. Many people coming uh, you know, out of addictions. They're learning how to live a life void of that and replacing it with Jesus. Uh, we have for our junior high and high school, we have Traders Youth Group where they come in every week and they gather and they worship and they learn and they, they read the word of God. We have worship nights and we can just go on and on. But the idea is that he should be a focal point in your life. Many times from Sunday to Sunday, we're not spending any time with God. Like God doesn't even intersect our life at all. And yet we call ourselves believers. And, and my question is, do you really think that that fits the bill for abiding or remaining in Christ? See, I think they, that... God has something better for us. Paul, when he was writing to the Philippians, he actually said, to live is Christ. He said, to live is Christ. Meaning everything that we do in life, everything that he does, had, it was just drenched in the idea that, that he was a, a disciple of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ was leading him to say and do everything that he did on a daily basis. To live is Christ. And then he goes on to say, to die is gain. Do you realize the only way that you can say to die is gain is if you live as Christ? Because then you don't even worry about that. It doesn't matter if he comes back today or 20 years from now. If you remain in Christ, guess where you're going to be when he comes back? Or if you die, you're going to be in Christ. This is the instruction that Jesus gives us as disciples. He says, look, remain in me and I will remain in you. Why? Because he wants us to have an impact with our lives. So what does abiding, what does remaining in Christ impact? I think it impacts a few things as we see in this text. Just a short few verses, we see how abiding in Christ impacts a lot of different things. The first one I think that it impacts is abiding impacts us. There's, there's something happens on a personal level. There, there's several personal benefits or several personal blessings that we receive from abiding or remaining in Christ. Look at verses 5 and 6. He says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? You can do what? Say it loud. Nothing. nothing. It's important for us to understand. Apart from him, we can do nothing. He goes on to say, anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. Now, there's a great blessing spelled out in this passage, but there's also a stark warning as well. Abide, remain in me. And if you do that, you're going to produce much fruit. But if you don't, you're going to be like the branches that are gathered and thrown away to be burned. There's a great warning in this as well. But for the blessing, for, for the benefit, uh, the way it impacts us is I believe that what he's promising us is if we abide in him, if we remain in him, we will live a fruitful life. We're going to have a fruitful life. This analogy of the vine, it's, it's natural. As a branch bears its fruit to be connected to the vine, it's, it's bearing fruit. And, and he's likening that to us taking our residence up in Christ as we are connected to the vine. He says, you're going to naturally, you're going to produce fruit. This is going to be part of your life. As you stay connected, as you remain in Christ, you're going to produce fruit in your life. Now, part of that fruit, as we remain in Christ, is we grow in Christ. And as we grow, some of that good fruit looks like 
godly character. We say it this way, you become more and more like Christ every day. That's the idea. You, you start to reflect Christ in what you say and what you do and how you live your life. You become an example to the world of who Christ is. You shine bright in a very dark area, whether it's around your neighborhood or at work or at school. You're shining bright. Why? Because you're, you're abiding in Christ. You remain in Christ and you become more and more like him every day. Now, that's part of the reason why he's using this idea of pruning. God's pruning or his correction, his punishment in our life is necessary. Why? Because he's going to continue to chip away at us. He's going to continue to trim things that aren't producing fruit. He's going to continue to mold and shape us into people that look more and more like Christ. And as he does that, guess what? Fruit begins to show up. We begin to um, exhibit more of the character of God than ever before. And this is so critical for us because he says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. You can't do anything without him. And when you're disconnected, it's, it's like branches gathered to be burned. So, so as we stay connected, the idea is we continue to produce fruit. And this is what I love about this passage. Fruit bearing is impossible without abiding in Christ. But when we remain in Christ, when we stay connected to him, fruit bearing is inevitable. It becomes part of our life. So let me ask you, what kind of fruit are you showing in your life? Does it show that you're abiding, that you're remaining in Christ? Or that you're really not connected? The fruit that Jesus grows is this, is this godly character within our lives, as well as effectiveness to accomplish the mission that he's given each and every one of us. He has stuff for us to do. Do you realize that? Like every day, there's divine appointments. There's things that we need to be doing to bring glory and honor to his name. So, he gives us opportunity to produce fruit every day. My question is, what are we showing? Are we showing that we're connected or are we showing that we're disconnected from the vine? So fruitful life is number one. Another benefit is in verse seven. It says, but if you remain in me, there's our word again, and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Yay, I want a Cadillac, right? See, that's the way many people will read this, and that's not, that's not what this is saying. See, there's something amazing in this. It says, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. Do you know what he's saying? He's, he's saying, not only will you live a fruitful life, but you're going to see answered prayers. And let me tell you how this works, because this is so encouraging to me. It's, it's uplifting to realize that this is a promise from Jesus. It's a promise that he's going to answer our prayers, that if we remain in him, he's going to remain in us, and our prayers and our petitions will be answered as we go through life. And the reason for that is because as we grow to become more and more like Christ, our prayers um, start to reflect him because our heart becomes molded around his heart. Our desires become des uh, wrapped around his desires, and our prayers change as we mature in the faith, as we become more and more like Christ. Is that, is that making more sense? See, I go back and I read my prayer list from when I was 21 years old. Do you know what I see? I see somebody who was self-absorbed. God protect me. God bless me. That's what I see. But as I've matured in my faith, and I'm nowhere close to where I need to be. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying as I've grown to become more like Christ every day, my prayers have changed. And now my prayers, I think, reflect Christ more than they did when I was 21. Um, God help me to be able to ask for forgiveness today from my wife because I wronged her yesterday. God, help me to repair the relationship with my child who, who's left the house because I know that's what you would desire. 
See, as our heart wraps around the heart of God and our desires wrap around his, our prayers change. And they become things that, that the heart of God goes out to. And when we begin to pray stuff like that, God begins to move in a mighty way. He answers our prayers. He meets our needs right where we're at. So it impacts us. Abiding in Christ impacts us because we live a fruitful life. Uh, he answers prayers. And then verses 9 through 11 say this. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my what? My joy. And not only that, he says, yes, your joy will overflow. So it impacts us not because, just because we have a fruitful life or he answers prayers, but because we receive joy. And not just joy, but his joy. And it says that it will overflow. It overflows not just to us, but the people around us. Abiding in Christ means loving him, which results in us looking for ways of pleasing him, of following his commandments for us. And when we do that, we are filled with joy. And let me, this is one of those hard ones. That it's very difficult to explain unless you experience it. When you first start out with Christ and you begin to live your life according to his precepts and his commands and his direction, here's what happens. You find a new way of living your life and guess what? He's your creator. He knows what's best for you. And when you start living according to his rules, there's joy involved. Do you know why? Um, Because you're not having to learn the hard way on everything. Because you're not causing destruction and stuff in your own life. You're sidestepping some of the, the heartache that we go through in life because we don't follow his commands. There's great joy in that. And, and I say it this way, there's no better place to be than in the middle of God's will and doing exactly what he wants you to do. And again, that's so hard to explain unless you've been there. But some of you, you can testify to that. Like your, your life was going down a whole different path. And then you receive Christ and you begin to live according to his laws and you've seen amazing things in your life, haven't you? You've seen him repair relationships that you thought were completely gone. He's worked miracles in your life. Why? Because you begin to live the way he wanted you to live and that joy got added in. It it started to overflow in your life. Now, abiding in Christ impacts us, but um, it doesn't just impact us. Do you realize it impacts others as well? When we live our lives for Christ, when we are abiding in Christ, it doesn't just stay self-contained. It flows out of us to the people around us. Look at verse 12. It says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. And it continues to go on talking about this. It's incredible. You're welcome to continue reading. But I want to stop there and just say this. We love because he first loved us. And when we come to Christ and we learn that and we begin to love uh, the way Christ wants us to love, he starts to fill us up with his love and his forgiveness and his mercy. We're able to extend those things to the people around us like never before. And you know what ends up happening? It impacts others because as believers in Jesus Christ, we actually experience better relationships. Why? Because we're living according to his, his laws. Uh, another blessing, another benefit to abiding in, in Christ is that we get to experience better relationships. That phrase he uses, remain in my love and I'll remain in you, refers to the special relationship between the vine and the branches. There's an amazing relationship and it affects not just our relationship with him, but our relationship with the people around us. To have better and strong relationships with God, we need to remain in him on a constant basis. 
And watch what happens to the relationships around you. They'll get better. Uh, This phrase, love each other, is actually a command that Jesus gives us, not just for us as it relates to him, but for us as it relates to one another and the world around us. Love each other as I have loved you. To abide consistently with Christ produces better relationships. It's, it's amazing to watch what happens in this moment. And you'll notice as you grow in Christ, your relationships will get better because it's not all about you anymore. You'll start to focus on the people around you and you'll pray that God will allow you to see other people the way that you see them. Even, get this, even difficult people, people that the world says are unlovable, you will see them different and you'll be able to love them. Why? Because you're not loving them with your own love. You're loving them with Christ's love that is instilled in you. You're able to forgive people that you never thought you would be able to forgive. Why? Because you're so awesome? No, because Christ has filled you with his forgiveness and you're able to extend that to the world around you. And you know what that does for relationships? It causes them to get better and deeper. Don't be surprised if you're at work and because you're living this out, you're, you're just loving on people and taking care of people, that your supervisor doesn't take the one person in the company that nobody else can work with and it puts him with you. Why? Because they see Christ in you. There's something different about you. You can get along with people. You love people. You forgive. You don't hold on to things. You don't try to, to you know, backbite or anything like that. It's amazing what happens in your relationships when you follow what God has for you. See, abiding in Christ impacts us and it impacts others, but maybe you didn't know this, it also impacts God. It impacts God. We said earlier, when you abide, when you remain in Christ, that you produce more fruit. I skipped this verse. I'm going to go back to it. Verse 8, it says this. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. You realize that when you're becoming more and more like Christ every day, that you're producing more fruit, that it actually um, glorifies God, like God is glorified because of that? Uh, For my math nerds in the room, let me just give you a math equation on how this works. Uh, First of all, you abide, you remain in Christ. And as you do that, you get into the Word, you worship, you're you're just living your life according to God's uh, plans for you. As you do that, here's what happens. You become more and more like Christ every day. And when you become more and more like Christ every day, that equals more fruit. And when you produce more fruit, God is glorified because of that. Why? Well, because his kingdom expands, because you begin to look more and more like his son. Uh, Because as you live your life out, may his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? You become something that God uses to bring about his will on earth. This idea of abiding in Christ, it impacts us. It impacts us because we get to live fruitful lives. We, we have our prayers answered and we receive joy, and not just joy, but joy overflowing. It impacts others because we can live with better relationships. It, it impacts God because God is glorified by what he's doing in and through us in that moment. It's incredible. Uh, there was a, a pastor years and years ago. His name was uh, Henry Light. Uh, he was um, pastoring to a fishing village in England many, many years ago, and uh, spent his entire career there writing, 
preaching, um, actually composing hymns, things like that. And uh, as he got older, he got in his 50s, his lungs uh, began to fail. And on September 4th, 1847, he got up behind the pulpit and he preached his last message at that church. He'd given his whole life to this congregation, to this church, and, and uh, gave his last message. That evening, he was out walking and praying, and God gave him a hymn. And he began to pin that hymn down. The next day he left, and he, the idea was he was going to Italy. He wanted to take a therapeutic trip to warmer coast, you know, to get in a warmer climate. So he was headed to Italy, and while he was on the way, he pinned this hymn, and he finished it up. And by the time he got to Nice, France, and checked into a hotel, he had it all polished, it was finished, and he sent it back to his wife. Um, he would never leave that hotel in France. He would actually die in that hotel. The hymn that he pinned... Is called Abide in With Me. And I want to read this to you. Um, bear with me because it's written in Old English, but it's just beautiful. This is what he wrote. The darkness deepens, Lord, abide with me. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. Swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay in all around I see. O thou who changest not, abide with me. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death, O Lord. Abide with me. When you abide, when you remain in Christ, you don't have to fear anything in life because you don't have to fear death. Uh, let me go back to my hypothetical that I started off with. Uh, there's a king in a distant land, offers you everything, chooses you, calls your name. All you have to do is just come and receive it. And many of you that have been in churches for many years, you knew what I was doing. Like I, I was playing with this idea of our own king, right? God is our king and he, he loves you so much that he sent his son who died on the cross, paid for your sins, he rose again, and he offers forgiveness of sins and eternal life to you. Better than any earthly possession. He offers that to each and every one of us. And, and for many of us, Going back to the scenario, we said, yes, yes, you called my name, you chose me, I'm going to inherit everything, yes, and we ran to the palace, right? We took the train, the plane, whatever it took, and we got to the palace. But here's the point I want to make this morning. For many of us, as we talk about remaining in Christ, taking up residence and dwelling with Christ, many of us did this, whether it was we, we received Christ, we got baptized, but that's where it stopped, it's as though we made it all the way to the palace and we got to the door and we never went through the door. For some of us, it's been years. We're just standing at the door. We never crossed the threshold to abide, to dwell, to remain in Christ. And yes, we call ourselves believers. We call ourselves Christians. But we haven't taken up residence with Christ. 
Can I encourage you today, make today, and even, even in this next moment of just worship, maybe this is the moment that we decide we're going to go through the door. We're choosing today to remain in Christ, to abide in Christ. See, I believe if you'll do that, you'll experience the impact of abiding, not just in your life, but in the world around you. Can I pray for that? Would you join me in that? Heavenly Father, we come to you right now as your believers, um, your disciples, your, your followers. And God, for many of us, we know the story. We've read it many times. We understand the love that you have had for us to send your son to die for us. And yet, Lord, we haven't taken full advantage. We haven't experienced the life and life to the fullest that you have for us because we haven't really remained in you. God, would you challenge us to take steps this week to worship like never before, to to open your word, to make the commitment that we're going to dive in, we're going to get to know you on a deeper level. God, we're going to take up residence in you. And God, I pray for the impact that that will have, not just in our own lives, but in the lives of the people around us, in our community, and in the world. God, we just ask that all these things continue to mold and shape us into people that look more and more like you. We pray all this, bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said.